Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. But we are reading from Colossians and finishing off chapter 1 and into verse 2. So starting at chapter 1, verse 25. I have become the church's servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden from ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all treasures, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Thanks, Ryan. My name's Ben, if we haven't met. Uh, The Bible reading said we're going to go to chapter 2, verse 5. We're going to go to 2, verse 3, where Ryan stopped. And we will look at chapter 4 as well, if you have your Bible there. But let's pray, and then we'll get into this. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can gather and open up your word. Father, we pray that this morning you would, um, that you would speak to us and that you would shape us and change us. We pray, Father, for those of us this morning that need comforting, that you would be our comfort. For those who need encouraging, that you would encourage us. For those who need challenging, that you'd challenge us. But right now we pray that you'd give us ears to hear and hearts to understand what you want for us and where we need to go with this. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we all know that when a group of people are united by a common mission, they are an unbelievable force. And we've seen that in the last 12 months in a lot of different ways, but my favorite moment where this happened, where a group of people were united together, was with what happened with GameStop. Now, what happened there was a bunch of millennials gathered together with a united mission to take down the big guy. If you don't know what this story was, it happened towards the end of last year and the beginning of this year. And uh, GameStop, it happened with GameStop. So GameStop, if you don't know, was a company that sold video games. And they were going the same way as Civic Video or Video Easy, and it looked like they were going to die. And so what happened was a bunch of billionaires, big guys, put a lot of money down saying that GameStop would go out of business. But along came some millennials. Millennials who said things like stonks instead of stocks. Millennials who posted pictures like of diamond hands instead of paper hands. 
millennials who spelt the word hold wrong. In capital letters, over and over again, they spelt the word hoddle, saying, we're going to the moon. Now, that might not mean anything to you. But they gathered together, this bunch of misfits gathered together, and what did they do? Well, they started buying shares in GameStop. And in January, in a, the space of a couple of days, GameStop shares went from $3 to $469 to the moon. And these billionaires, they had to put money down to basically shore their spot, and in so doing, they lost over $23 billion. These group of people, these group of millennials, misfits gathered together, all just to take the big guy down, united over this mission. Now, I love this story. I love it for so many reasons, and I'm sure I got some of it wrong because it was a little bit confusing trying to understand what was going on. But I, I love the picture, and I love that it shows us this reality that when a group of people are united by a common mission, they can do so much more than anyone gives them credit for. And it's true for millennials online, it's true for businesses, it's true for teams, and of course, it's true for us as a church. And so this morning, the question we want to think about as we gather together as a church is what is our mission? What does God want us to be doing? You know, is it as simple as he just wants us to be gathering together on a Sunday and, and meeting and encouraging each other for a couple of minutes? Is it that he wants us to tick off some religious boxes so that we can kind of be good enough? Or is there something else that God wants us to be doing? What is our mission? Well, this morning we're going to be opening up and thinking about this as we open up the Bible, but we're going to do something a bit different. So let's just put this up front. This morning we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to think about what our mission is from this passage, but we're going to fly through it. And then we're going to spend more time thinking about what stops us from our mission and particularly Satan's role in that, right? So that's where we're going. So what is our mission? Well, let's fly through this. Let's see this because from chapter 1, verse 24, we notice it, and you notice immediately God wants something, right? So Paul writes this. He says, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim and admonish, and, uh, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So what is the mission that we're called to? What does God want us to be doing? Well, we see this in this passage, and the first thing we notice is that God wants something. God the Father wants the world to see Jesus. We see this because he is the one who commissioned Paul in verse 25. He is the one in verse 27 that, that God made known the mystery, which is Jesus to the whole world. God the Father wants the world to know Jesus the Son. And why is that? Well, this is what we saw last week. It's because Jesus, he made the world. By him, through him, for him, the world is made, and he redeemed the world through his death on the cross. Jesus is the only way that people can be saved, and so the Father wants this to happen. You could say that God's mission is that everyone everywhere would know about Jesus. It's not just God's mission, is it? It's Paul's mission. This is what Paul does. You see this. He says in verse 24, I rejoice in what I'm suffering. 
He's suffered for this, but he's not complaining about it. He, he's rejoicing in it because he knows what he is doing. In verse 26, uh, 25, it's his commission. Verse 26, it's he, him what he's doing. Verse 27, he goes out and to do this. But then verse 28 is where we see this most clearly. Paul's mission is to speak about Jesus. He proclaims it, admonishes it, teaches it. Verse 29, he strenuously contends with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in him. So, so you can see, right, God's mission to make Jesus known to everyone everywhere. Paul's mission to make Jesus known to everyone everywhere. So what about us? Where do we fit in this? Well, we see, as it keeps going, that this is the church's mission as well. And we see this in chapter 2. As we keep reading, particularly from verse 2, he says, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may understand the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. But then we see this again in chapter 2, particularly verse 5, where he says, in chapter 4, sorry, verse 5, he says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity, and let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So, so what's our mission? Well, you could sum it up like this. God's mission is to make... Jesus known to everyone everywhere. Paul's mission is to make Jesus known to everyone everywhere. And our mission is to make Jesus known to everyone everywhere. This is the mission of the church. And this is the mission of us here at Southside. This is the mission that should unite us and stir us and push us on in our faith because this is what we should be doing. Now that's nothing radical, is it? Like, chances are, if you've been here for five minutes, that you know that this is what our mission is, right? Maybe you're here this morning because a friend invited you to church. Maybe you've had someone invite you to the Alpha course before. Maybe you were here last week, and last week we had uh, some of our kids in from Kids Church counting words that we said, and Jesus in the sermon last week was said 96 times. Jed counted that. I wish he'd let me know that we just need four more for the hundred. But that's... We know that, right? We know that the church is on about Jesus and it's the church's mission to make Jesus known. This is not new stuff for us. This is basic Christianity that the church is meant to be on about Jesus to make him known to everyone everywhere. So this morning as we think about our mission, maybe a better question is not what is our mission, but what stops us from our mission? Why is it so hard to do this mission? Why do we know in our heads that this is the mission of God and the mission of our church, and yet in our lives, it's such a struggle to put this into practice. What stops us from doing this mission? Well, this morning, we're going to think about the role that Satan has in this, because it's not something we often think about. Now, in the Bible, Satan, his role, he's God's enemy, and Satan's name literally means deceiver. He's called the father of lies. So one of Satan's biggest tools in stopping God, his kingdom, his people, is to feed us lies. And so this morning, as we think about our mission, we don't just want to think about what it is, because that's obvious, to make Jesus known to everyone, everywhere. We want to think about what stops us, and particularly if there are any lies that Satan has fed us that we've begun believing. And so that's where we're going. We're going to think about these lies. And this morning, what are these lies? And, and do we believe them? Well, we're going to look through nine lies. Nine lies that Satan gives us. 
Nine lies that Satan wants us to believe. So what are they? Well, number one, the first lie that Satan wants us to believe is this. Christianity is dying. Doesn't feel like that. When you look around at our world, when you look around at our country, does it not feel like this thing's fading? You know, in the last month or so, I had um, an ad, actually it might have been a few months ago, an ad on Facebook that was just saying, hey, on the census coming up, if you have no religion, tick that. Now that's fine to get that ad, but it felt like lots of people were liking it. Felt like this was kind of what people thought. And, and so the, the flow and effect of that is that, that I feel like more and more people are doing this and Christianity is dying. And if, if Christianity is dying, then we're on a losing team. And no one enjoys being on a losing team. Just ask anyone from the Broncos in the last two years. You just see them. They hate that, right? There's pictures of them crying all the time. No one wants to be on the losing team. But more than that, the, the actual effect for us, if we're on a losing team, is we're not going to put any effort into that. No one wants to push, push into uncomfortable spaces if no one's interested. Satan wants us to believe this lie that Christianity is dying. So what's, what's the truth? Well, the truth is that Christianity isn't dying. The truth is that God is still growing his church, and he will continue to do that. Now, we know that from the Bible, but I want to give three examples of how we see this right now. So first and foremost, in term two here at Southside, we ran the Alpha course. We're going to run one again in term four. We saw three people put their trust in Jesus for the first time from death to life in term two. So here at Southside, we're seeing God do something, save some people. But let's get out of our, our bubble for a moment. So that's the first example. The second example, if we get out of Australia's bubble and think about the fastest growing church in the world, it's in Iran. And in Iran, 20 years ago, there was five to 10,000 people who would say that they're a Christian. In the last 20 years, Christianity has grown to 800,000 or a million to a million. That's the, the estimate at the moment in 20 years. Or let's put it in some numbers that I really enjoy. That's 110 people a day. From Islam, right, because that's the, the majority belief over there, from Islam to Christianity, the majority of them, 110 of them, are becoming believers a day, or since we've been meeting, that's about five people. Satan wants us to believe that Christianity is dying, but God is growing his church around the world. So he's growing it here in Southside. He's growing it around the world. But then there's individual stories where God is saving people. And I came across this. It's my favorite tweet, I think you could say, of all time on Twitter. It's from the Atheist in Kenyan Society. Have a look at this tweet. It says this, This evening, regretfully, our secretary, Mr. Seth Mahinga, made the decision to resign from his position as secretary of our society. Seth's reason for resigning is that he has found Jesus Christ and is no longer interested in promoting atheism in Kenya. Just soak that up for a moment. The atheists in Kenya society are promoting the fact that Jesus is saving people. Right? You see, Satan's lie is that Christianity is dying. This thing's going to be over in 20 years. You're on a losing team, so don't keep going in this. But the truth is that God is growing his church, and he will save people. Now, what would it look like if we truly believed this? What would it look like if you truly believed that God might save your neighbors? 
What would it look like if we truly believed that God could save the people we work with or our friends or our family? This is the first lie that Satan wants us to believe. But God is growing his church. Number two, the second lie is this. Mission isn't my gift, so I don't need to do it. Now, have you ever felt that? Because I have. Right, where you go into those moments where you want to speak about Jesus and you're just like, I don't even know how to do this. This isn't my skill set. This isn't my unique gifting. You know, I'm good at other things, but not this. And so the lie is that Satan wants us to believe is this. You don't have to do it. Now, what's the truth here? Well, the truth is, in this passage, we do see some people who are uniquely gifted in this. So Paul was commissioned by God to speak about Jesus. He was. There's something unique about that. And today we see that some people are commissioned by God to speak about Jesus. It's their unique gift. They want to go overseas or or here in Australia, and they want to speak about Jesus and do it as their full-time job. So so there there is an element to this that's true. However, we see that we're all called to be on mission. This is why in chapter 4 he said, think about this, be involved in this, have answers to questions because all of us are meant to be on mission. Now I think we know this with other things that we're supposed to be doing, right? So like when you think about it with love, some of us are very good at loving people. Some of us are, are amazing at it, we're just, we ooze love. And yet we all know that love is something we're all meant to be doing. Or generosity. Some of us are very generous people. It's our unique gift. But we're all called to be generous. Or hospitality. Some of us can do that really well, but we're all called to it. And the truth of this fact is, mission is no different. Some people are very good at it. But we're all called, in our own ways, to go into this space and to speak about Jesus. So the second lie is, mission isn't my gift. I don't need to do it. The truth is, some people are gifted at it, but we're all called to be involved in it. So that's number two. Number three, the third lie. I need to be really smart and have the answers to everything. Don't you hate that moment in that conversation where someone asks a question of you and you just don't know how to answer it? Or you answer it and then you think about it later and you realize it was a bad answer? That's crushing. It's crippling when we feel that way. We feel inadequate. We don't feel like we're smart enough. And so what that does for us is it pushes us down because we think that we've got to have the answers to everything. We've got to be really smart in this. Now, Satan wants you to believe this lie. He wants to cripple you in this. So what's the truth here? Well, the truth is, again, in chapter 4, we are called to learn. So knowledge is, is important in some way. We are called to explore answers to difficult questions. However, the truth really here is that we tend to overestimate something and underestimate something. We tend to overestimate intellect and knowledge and we underestimate love and kindness. Right? So we overestimate intellect. We think if we know the answers to everything, people will just come to faith. Right? If we can just answer every question, if we can just win the argument, then we'll win the person. Now, how many times does that actually happen? Often when we win the argument, the person goes away more angry at us than they began with. Now, it's not to say that we shouldn't learn or grow in our knowledge. Chapter 4 says that clearly. But I think we overestimate that and we underestimate love and kindness. We underestimate that the best tool for us to 
get into people's lives and their hearts might not be to open up our mouths, but open up our homes. To have a meal with people. To find out their stories. To be genuinely interested in them. To not kind of use Christianity as this thing that makes me feel good about myself because I'm exchanging intellect, I'm exchanging knowledge for whatever you do with that, and I've done it. See, the lie is I need to be really smart and have the answers to everything. But the truth is, Knowledge is important. Let's explore that. But we overestimate intellect. We underestimate love and kindness. And also, there is no shame in saying, I don't know the answer. And I'll find it out. And let's have this conversation again next week. There is no shame in that. That's an integrity move in that point. So number three is there. That's the third lie. Number four, what's the fourth lie? The fourth lie is this. Satan wants you to believe you got one shot. So don't ruin it. Now again, we, we know this feeling. You have the conversation with someone and you didn't nail it. And so you go away and you just feel this sense of, man, I missed it. I missed my opportunity here. That's the lie Satan wants you to believe because if you believe that you've only got one shot, there's pressure. You've got to get that 100% right. You've got to nail it completely. There's pressure, there's stress, and often the pressure makes us fumble through our words and all of that. So what's the truth here? Well, the truth is that these days when it comes to someone coming to faith, the research says it's not one conversation, it's 40 conversations. Now, although that seems like a lot, it's actually super helpful for us to get our heads around because what it does is it takes the pressure off. It's not one conversation. If we ruin one conversation, it doesn't matter. We've got to have more than one conversation. It also means that we need to start thinking about, speaking about Jesus less as this one moment and more as a process, more as something we just open up where talking about Jesus becomes a natural part of all that we do. But it also means this, it means if someone says no to our one invite, we don't give up. We don't give up because it probably isn't going to take one invite anyway. Now again, here's a comment that I found in the last couple of months about this particular thing. She said this, I had breakfast this morning with a local young woman who invited, uh, we, uh, sorry, we invited her to church seven times before she said yes. That's six no's for those who are counting. A week after her first visit, a week after her first visit, she made a decision for Jesus. Two years later, her life changed forever. Don't stop asking. The lie that Satan wants you to believe is you got one shot, one invite, one conversation. The truth is, it might take seven. It might take 40. It might be a lifetime of pursuing this. But God invites us to continue to go into that space, inviting, speaking, opening the conversation up to speak about Jesus. So that's the fourth lie. The fifth lie is this, getting the conversation to Jesus is too hard. Now again, we know this feeling, right? Again, we have that moment, the conversation, and we want to speak about Jesus, we just don't know how. And so then we leave the conversation and we think, again, I missed it. Now, why is this a lie? Because it certainly feels true. And I'm here as well, felt this for a long part of my life. Um, and I think even here at Southside, we did a survey earlier on in the year about uh, Alpha and inviting to Alpha. And this was the top response for why people didn't invite to Alpha. It's because we didn't know how to get, to get the conversation to Jesus. 
It's too hard. But something that I've been learning in the last couple of months is that getting the conversation to Jesus isn't actually that hard. What's hard is getting past ourselves. What's hard is getting past my fears, my concerns, the worry of how I'm going to look. But actually getting the conversation to Jesus can be easy. Now, I'm 100% here on this journey. 100% explore this. But what I've been learning in the last couple of months is that the more we get the conversation to Jesus, the less we get in the way. It's almost like this version of exposure therapy. The more we just do it, the easier it is. So how do we do it? How do we get the conversation to Jesus? Well, here's two ways that I've found helpful in the last little while. Number one begins with finding a genuine interest in people. And so this is a question that's super simple. It's just asking them this question. What was your religious belief growing up? What was religion like in your family, in your home? Or if they're from another country, uh, the other day we tried this one. What's, what was religion like in your country? What's the main religion there and how did you find that? It's such a beautiful way because it's, it's interested in other people. And so often the story has come back where they ask me that question back and I get to share that yes, Jesus was taught in my family, but I didn't realize and believe until I was 18. As a Christian, you're not just saved if you're born in a Christian home. You're saved if you believe in Jesus. It's, it's powerful to ask this question. Or another way to, to get the conversation to Jesus is when we're thinking about inviting them to something. Right, and particularly Alpha. Now, we're not starting Alpha next week. It's starting in term four, but let's pretend that we were starting next week. Here's a way that you can invite someone to Alpha. It's pretty easy. You just say, hey, there's this course on next Tuesday night that I'd love to go to, which is all about why we can believe that Jesus is true. Do you want to come with me? Now, it's not lying. Who wouldn't want to go to a course where we get to explore that together? But you get to invite them to be on the journey with you. See, the lie is it's too hard. The truth is, what's hard is our fears, our worries, our concerns. The more we do this, the easier it gets. And I'm sure you've got ways, too, of getting the conversation of Jesus. I'd love to hear your ways because I'm on this journey as well. But this is the fifth lie Satan wants you to believe. What's the sixth lie? The sixth lie Satan wants you to believe is this. I don't have enough time. Now we feel this. This morning we think about this. I think many of us are feeling this right now, that if we consider having a meal with someone, we look at our week and go, well, where? When's that going to happen? I don't have time to, I don't have time to have a meal with someone. I don't have time to invest with someone because I'm too busy. Now, why is this a lie? Well, it's a lie because the truth is we make time for what we value. That's the truth. We all have the same amount of time in our week and we make time for what we value. So we make time for our family. We make time for our friends. We make time for our study. We make time for our sport. We make time for whatever we value. We all have the same amount of time. The truth is we make time for what we value. And so even though we might not have a time, the reality is we might have to make some time for mission. See, we, we would squeeze our weeks out, right? So if I, let, let's give, me, give you this example. If I said I got two tickets to a show, to a musical, to the movies, to the Broncos, if I said I got two tickets for you this afternoon, who would make time to make that happen? See, we make time for what we value. We just do that in our lives. And so what this means is we need to make time for mission. We need to make time for that. Now, now how do we do that? Well, here's... Here's two ways to make time. Firstly, 
We need to make some margin in our life. Now, what this means is that when we've got a free night or a free Saturday, we don't just fill it up as quickly as we can. We make space for people. Space that God might put someone in my life and I have space to actually talk to them about it. You know, you ever had those moments where someone says hi to you, but you're just on the way to the next thing? You know, you've got to shut the car door, you're on to that next email, the next phone call, the next whatever, right? We, we know that feeling. So we need to create space in our life where God could use us in mission. That's the first thing. But the second thing is this. We need to think about meals as an opportunity for mission. We need to think about this, right? Because, so, so let's think about this. We've got September coming up. We, Ryan mentioned this before, September, a month of hospitality. Okay, so in this month, what if we saw this month as an opportunity to have someone over that's not a Christian, that we don't know, that is a stranger, right? So they're a stranger now. What if we thought in September, one meal, we could have someone over? You know, you got five meals, Monday to Friday, five dinners. On the weekend, we got six, but if you get rid of Sunday breakfast... There's five there as well, right? You can try and do something before church if you want. But let's, let's say, so five dinners and five meals on the weekend, that's 10, and over a month we got 40. One in 40. What, what if we had the plan within our family group to just do one, to have one stranger over, one non-Christian over, that one person in our street, our one neighbor that we thought I've always wanted to get to know them? Here's the challenge laid out to you. You know, we got a, a little bit of while. We got, what, 10 days or something, a few days till September. So we got a bit of a run up, and then that's the challenge. But meals are often the place where we just get to speak about faith and our beliefs. You know, Elizabeth and I have been trying to do this a little bit. We're not, we're not experts. We just kind of feel like we're just starting this. But we had our neighbors over the other day for a coffee. So we didn't even use one of the main 10 meals. We used coffee. And then they invited us over. And you know what happened when they invited us over? He asked me this question, unprovoked. What do you even do at church? (laughs) Let me tell you about that. This is what happens when we create space for mission. But we don't get those opportunities if we don't make space for it. And so the lie that Satan wants you to believe is that you don't have enough time. But the truth is we make time for what we value. And we've got to make time for mission. So that's number six. Number seven, what's the seventh lie? It's this, prayer is only token and it doesn't really work. You know, this week, I said these words to Elizabeth. I said, oh, well, we can just pray. And I wonder if you've ever said something like that. But you know what it says? This is my last resort. We may as well just give it a go. <laughs> I hated that I said that this week. But often we can think this. Prayer is just a token thing that doesn't really work. And I wonder if you've believed this lie. What's the truth here? The truth is that prayer works. The truth is that prayer, God answers prayer. Now, we see this in a few ways. We see this firstly in chapter 4 when Paul said, devote yourself to prayer. This is why Right? So he didn't say dabble in prayer or when you remember pray. He said devote yourself to prayer. He said pray for us. Pray for an opportunity. Pray for this. 
This is why Jesus in his life would often pray. He'd go up to a mountain before a busy day and he would pray. This is why we're called to pray, because prayer works. This is why in our church, I can tell you that the most dedicated people to prayer are some of our elderly, faithful Christians. It's because they've seen prayer work over a number of years. Wisdom says prayer works. They've experienced it. They've practiced it over a long period of time and they've seen that prayer works. We would benefit so much if we just believe that prayer is not token, but it actually does things. Now again, a few months ago, I got this experience. So we were three months into having our baby girl Poppy, and those three months were pretty dark. And I remember we were just surviving. You know, we were just holding on for dear life. And I remember thinking about mission, and I just had this feeling like, this overwhelming sense, like, I want to do this, but I don't even know where I'm going to do it. I don't know how. I'm barely surviving. And so I, I prayed through it. And I asked God for his grace and for his kindness and that he would help me in this. And I prayed for some of my neighbors. That afternoon, we went home. And I took Poppy for a walk. And within 10 minutes of going for this walk, the two neighbors that I'd prayed for, which I hadn't seen for a couple of months, I saw within the space of five minutes, it was like God saying, bro, prayer works. <laughs> don't, don't forget this. Don't use this as a last resort. Don't think that prayer is just something that people who can't get stuff done do. Prayer works. And we have a God who loves to answer prayer, and he loves to work through us as we pray. So again, let's ask this question of you. What would it look like if you really believe this? What would it look like for you if you genuinely believe that prayer works for you as an individual, for you as the space in your life? What would it look like for our teams that serve at church, for our growth groups? What would it look like for us if we truly believed that prayer works? The lie that Satan wants us to believe is this. It's token. It doesn't work. He doesn't want us praying. But the truth is this is where God works. Number eight. The eighth lie Satan wants us to believe is this, I'm not good enough because I don't do this enough. Maybe you're even feeling this now. And as we think about mission, as we consider the, the call that God has on our life to make Jesus known to everyone everywhere, Satan wants us to feel this burden, this sense that we are not good enough. And that burden of feeling not good enough, that shame, you know what it does? It cripples us. It doesn't empower us. It leaves us kind of disheartened and discouraged. But this is a lie that Satan wants you to believe. Because what's the truth? The truth is that you are not good enough because of your best efforts or your failures. The truth is you're not good enough because of what you do. We've been made good enough because of what Jesus has done at the cross. We are secure in this relationship with our God. He has adopted us. We're family. We're loved. And nothing can change that. Not our best efforts. Not even if we were converting thousands upon thousands of people individually by our own. Or if we failed to do that and never did that in our life. Our status before God, being good enough, doesn't come through our efforts. It comes through what Jesus has done at the cross. So this morning, Satan wants you to feel this. He wants you to think that you're not good enough. But see the truth, hear the truth. 
You've been made good enough by Jesus. All we have to do is trust in him. So eighth lie is that. Ninth lie, the last one that we've got is this. It doesn't really matter. The final lie. doesn't really matter. Mission doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I do it or not. Speaking about Jesus doesn't matter if I do it or not. Making new non-Christian friends doesn't matter if I do that or not. Pushing into my colleagues' lunches doesn't matter. Meeting my neighbours doesn't matter. None of it matters. It, it actually doesn't matter if we do this or not. But, but do you see, this could be the most damaging of all of the lies. Because if we think that something doesn't matter, we're not going to do it. We're not going to push into that. But what's the truth? The truth is this. It, there is nothing that matters more than this. Now, we see this from Paul. If you have your Bibles there, I don't have the passage, but I'll read it for you. It's in verse, chapter 1, verse 29. He says, To this end I strenuously contend. With all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me is the full verse. But, but this word here, strenuously contend. Now, we have a sense of what that means. He's working hard for this. But literally, the word means agonizes. And agony brings a different picture to us than strenuously contend, and it's helpful. Right? So let's think about it. Why does Paul feel agony? Well, I wonder when the last time you felt agony was. Let's push into that feeling. You see, this week, for many of us, we felt this experience. We had this experience of feeling agony when we woke up on Monday morning to see that the Taliban had taken over in Afghanistan. This feeling of heartbreak. You know, the feeling that we know what the Taliban do. Maybe we had, maybe we had friends who fought in that war. Maybe we've got, in our family, women that we love or children that we love. You know, for us, this was our experience. You know, as we as I consider Poppy. And you see the pictures of them jumping on the outside of planes, thinking that's a better destination. Or you see them handing kids through barbed wire fences. And so, in prayer this week, it's tears, not understanding why God would allow this, but trusting in Him and feeling the weight of that, knowing that if any of us were there as people who don't fit under Sharia law would be killed at best. That's agony. This is what Paul feels. And what he feels it for is so much more real than even the situation in Afghanistan, because this is eternal realities. People outside of Jesus, if they don't believe in Jesus, will face the punishment for their sins. Eternal, unending, experienced pain, hell, agony. Satan wants you to think, this doesn't matter. It couldn't matter anymore. And 
And so this is why here at Southside we talk about us being on mission as a lifeboat. And there's this, this, this little image, but it's, it's helpful because we know what it's like to be on a lifeboat. We know that anyone who doesn't get on that lifeboat will drown. And this is us as a church. This is not, we're not here as a cruise ship. You know, the picture of a cruise ship, we often think about cruise ship. You know, you come, you get served, you sit in your comfy seats, you complain about the service, and then you leave. We are a lifeboat because we know that if people don't get on the boat, if people don't hear about the life-saving message of Jesus, they will drown. And so what do you do on a lifeboat? You do whatever you can to get people on that boat. You speak to anyone who will listen to get them on that boat. You give up your comfort so that people get on the boat because we know what's at stake here. Now, you might be here catching your breath. There might be this sense that you're here from you know, an experience where you need to be refreshed in the message of Jesus and you're welcome to be here. But, but you have to see us. We are not a cruise ship. And at some point, you do have to make that step to join us on the lifeboat because this is what we're here for. This is why we exist. This is our mission. And there's nothing that matters more. We are a lifeboat who wants our community to see Jesus knowing the weight that our community is facing agony at this present moment. Satan wants you to believe it doesn't matter. But there isn't anything more that could matter than our mission in this world, to help people see Jesus. So here they are, the nine lies that Satan wants us to believe. Satan wants us to stop doing this, and he'll do whatever he can to stop us from doing it. Now, as we see these nine lives, the final question this morning is, what do we do with this? And there's just two things, two things that we want to do with this. Number one, firstly, if we go back one, Sam, the first thing we want to do this morning is a very practical one, to look at those nine lives and just nine lies and identify which one you resonate the most with. Okay, so as you look at that, which one spoke to you the most? Which one have you been most susceptible to believe? And then what we're going to do this morning after our service, when we have a coffee together, Let's ask each other how our weeks were, and then let's ask this question, which lie stood out to you? Let's talk about it. Okay, so so write it down, which one, or identify which one there, and after the service, let's actually, let's talk about it. Let's ask this question of each other, which lie stood out? And then this week at our growth groups, we're going to do the same thing. But we're going to do three at our growth groups. So this is practice this morning to pick one. Then the second thing, though, that we're going to do, so that's the first, identify the lie. Second thing, though, this morning that we're going to do is we're going to make a commitment to be on mission. So here, here it is, right? If, you're, if Southside is your church, this is my church. We did this last week with our commitment with magnification. Here's the commitment that we make at Southside if we say this church is my church, the mission commitment. It's this. It says, I will seek to live on mission. It's meant to be on mission. I will seek to live on mission by being involved in non-Christian lives and sharing the gospel with them at every opportunity and praying for three non-Christians and inviting them to church in the Alpha Course when and where appropriate. If Southside is your church, I want to invite you to say these commitments. Now, maybe you've said them in the past and this is a chance to recommit to the mission of God. Maybe you've never said this before and you want to commit the first time to the mission of God played out here at Southside. But what we're going to do is I'm going to pray through this commitment, 
And at the end of it, like last week, if you want to agree with that, if you want to say I'm, on in, I'm in on that, at the end of this prayer, just say amen out loud. As a, amen just means I agree. As a way to kind of verbally act on this and say, yep, I'm in on this. Okay, so that's what we're going to do at the end of this prayer. If you're in on this as well, pray amen, and then we're going to sing and celebrate Jesus and what he's doing. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we have been reminded this morning of the mission of the church to make Jesus known to everyone everywhere. We've been reminded that we have an enemy that wants us to, to stop, that doesn't want us to do anything here in this space, that wants to cripple us. But we've been reminded, Lord, of the truth that you're at work in this world and you've called us to be at work in this world. And there's nothing that matters more. And so this morning, Lord, we pray through this commitment which is simply this, I will seek to live on mission by being involved in the lives of non-Christians and sharing the gospel with them at every opportunity and praying for three non-Christians and inviting them to church and the Alpha Course when and where appropriate. God, we pray this as our commitment together as a church, as individuals, and as a church, as a group. And all of God's people said, Amen.